0: You are listening to a message from First Assembly of God. We are a church on a mission to restore everyone, everywhere, to a loving and holy God. If today's message inspires you in any way, would you consider sharing it with a friend? This is just one of the many ways that you can be a part of what God is doing here at First Assembly. Our ushers are coming this morning to distribute some cards uh, that say, All Things New. Let's shout that out together. All Things New. One more time perfect that there was a sense November 6th uh, 2018 a year and a few months ago where I sensed God was calling first assembly to some new that was reiterated a few months ago just in a quiet time of prayer that God wanted to speak all things new to our church and that's what we're doing in January is a series all things new and here's what I'm asking you to do here's what I'm asking you to do Listen, I'm asking you to make a commitment with me to 21 days of intentional prayer and fasting and scripture and relationships to see God do all things new in you and in us. 21 days beginning tomorrow, beginning January 6th, and concluding in our special services we'll have. We've talked about it over the last month and a half. A great young African-American evangelist named Will Jones will be here Lives in Oklahoma, travels the country speaking. Um, I'm excited to have him here. He'll be with us at the end of our 21 days. So we begin 21 days of prayer and fasting in Scripture. Tomorrow, we'll conclude it on Sunday morning, January 26th, through Monday night, the 27th. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night. Reserve that weekend on your calendar. We're devoting 21 days. God, do something new and powerful. We're going to pray, fast, be in Scripture. And then we'll come together and this will be the capstone moment of spiritual renewal for our church. So let me walk you through what I'm asking you to do. If you'll just look on this card, let me take a few moments to walk us through that. Number one, I'm asking every single person from junior high student to the most senior among us. Young, old, new to the faith, veteran to the faith single young adult, college student, every one of us, I'm asking you to fast during these 21 days, and what does that mean? I'm asking you to deny yourself food or some other fundamental need, right? So Netflix is probably not a fundamental need for your life. For some of you, social media might qualify, but what's a fundamental need? The point of a fast is not to like, make healthier choices, Or I want to use my time more wisely or I want to be better fit. That's not a fast. Those are good decisions, but not a fast. A fast is saying, God, I need something for my life, but I don't need it as badly as I need you. I need food to live. And the moment I start missing a few meals, my body is telling me, you better get food. And I'm going to tell my body, no, because I need your presence more than food. That's a fast. It's intentionally denying something, not that you want, not that you like, but you need. And I say, no, because there's something else I need that gives me more life than this essential. Make sense? So I'm asking you of these 21 days to take one of these options. Option one, fast one meal a day for those three weeks. So say, I'm going to fast lunch Every day for 21 days. So instead of eating lunch, you will escape and find a quiet place of prayer. And it will be easy to pray because your stomach will be screaming at you. And that will be telling you not to eat but to pray and you will pray. So one meal a day for those three weeks, those 21 days beginning tomorrow. Or fast an entire day each week for those three weeks. Maybe I'm going to fast on Fridays. So three Fridays in a row, breakfast, lunch, dinner, I'm taking a day to fast. So a meal, or a day, or a third, maybe you want to take an extended number of days. You know, Thursday through a Saturday, three days, four days, five days, seven days, 10 days, and fast. And say, for this extended period of time, I'm going to withhold, my, withhold food or some other fundamental need because I want to pursue God. So I'm calling everyone to fast. If you've never done it before, Choose this 21 days to begin this process. It's a spiritually powerful discipline. Number two is prayer. I want us all to pray at the same time every day for 21 days. So set your alarm for 2020. Set your alarm for 2020. That's 8.20 p.m. In fact, do it now. Pull out your phone. I did it this morning in preparation for tonight. I've pulled out my iPhone, went to my alarms, and I set up a new alarm at 8.20 p.m., and then I selected, you, you go into the, the details of that, the options, and you can select, I want to repeat it every Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Selected all seven days. And now I have for myself an 8.20 p.m. alarm every day for 21 days. My, my, uh, my phone's going to go off. I've already picked the song that it's going to play to remind me to pray. And that will compel me remind me to pray. So I'm asking you, young families, I know 8.20 p.m. is about bedtime for a lot of your toddlers, preschoolers, maybe you want to make that a family moment of prayer. That alarm goes off and teach your kids, "Oh, that's our church prayer time. We're going to gather together and pray." If you're not able to have an extended period of time to pray at 8:20, set that alarm as a reminder and then just maybe it's just 30 seconds. But for most of us we can carve out a handful of minutes to pause and say, God, do this. And here's the three things I've asked us to pray about, these three bullet points. Number one, let's ask God for renewed personal hunger for God's presence and purpose in your life. This 2020 prayer is about you. God, I want to be hungry for you. In 2020, your presence and your power. Number two, a renewed personal obedience. Not just hunger for God's presence, but saying yes in every area of your life. Obedience to Jesus in every area of your life and in each of your relationships. Third, the kingdom of God is bigger than you. What is God calling you to do in his mission in 2020? Jesus told his followers, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending Yeah, fill in the blank for me. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. God sent Jesus to make a difference in the world, to seek and to save the lost. And guess what your assignment is? To seek and to save the lost through Jesus' work on Calvary. What's his mission for you? Who has God placed in your life? So every 2020... 8.20 p.m., God, I want to be hungry for your presence. I want to be obedient in every area and every relationship in my life, and I want to live on mission. Show me what you have called me to do in 2020 for you. And then finally, scripture. Fasting, 2020 prayer, and then time in scripture. I recognize many of you already have established a daily reading plan. You can stick to that. Some of you have already begun uh, uh, the Bible in a year plan. Some of you have already established a daily devotional time. That's great. You don't need to change that. But if you're new to the faith or you're out of the habit of reading scripture daily, we've picked two Bible studies that we'd like to recommend to you. They're 21 days in length. They're digital. They're on the Version Bible app. You can download that app on the Apple Store or Google Play or one of the... Um, you can download that for both um, I, both operating systems. And you would search on Version these two, All Things New, 21 Day Devotional. If you just type that in, select Plans, search 21 Day, All Things New, you'll find it. Or if you type in 21 Day Fast Devotional, you'll find that. Those images will correspond to those Bible studies in the Version app. If you have the First Assembly app, you just click on Bible on our First Assembly app, and that will lead you to the Version app as well. Will you stand with me this morning? We're going to jump into the word of God in our last 2 hours together. But before we do, I want you to stand before the Lord and offer yourself. The biblical term would be to sanctify yourself, consecrate yourself. Say, God, I'm setting aside, I'm sanctifying, making special these 21 days at the outset of a new decade in fasting and prayer and in scripture to ask you to make all things new in my life, in the ministry you've called me to do and in our church family. So Father, we make this a solemn moment. I'm asking our congregation to set aside these three weeks, these 21 days to pursue you. Some of us in this room will be for the first time denying ourselves a meal or two or five in order to pray. Some of us will be for the first time making a commitment for 21 days straight to be in your word. And I pray you, God, through your scriptures, through your presence and through prayer, that you would renew us and make all things new in us individually, in our families, in our community and church, in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. This season, as I've been preparing for this series called All Things New, I was led to the book of Joel, been studying the book of Joel, and it can really be broken down in these three little bullet points. Say these with me. The breaking point, the pivot point, and the blessing point. The book of Joel can be seen thematically in these three big movements, the breaking point and the blessing point, and in the middle, this idea of a pivot point. The book of Joel begins in chapter one with this story about locusts. It sounds a bit obscure to us, but let me read it and unpack it with you. After the cutting locusts finished eating the crops, the swarming locust took what was left after them came the hopping locusts, and then after them the stripping locusts, too. Have you ever felt like when it rains it pours? Have you ever felt like like bad things happen in groups of three? Have you ever had that like one thing just leads to another? It's like, good lord, I could handle one thing or two things, but five, six, seven, what's next? God, I'm at a breaking point. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, as a pastor, I watch that all the time. I've experienced that in my own life that problems don't seem to come one at a time. I mean, we would like to say, all right, all you problems, would you just line up and I'm gonna deal with them one at a time. It never happens that way. It seems to accumulate and pile up until we feel we're at a breaking point. And that's what's happening in the book of Joel. It may sound odd to us, a plague of locusts. What does that have to do with me? It has a lot to do with you. For them, this was devastating. Everything depended on the harvest. Their daily food, their life, their worship, everything was about food and the grain and the agriculture. We don't experience that much today. Our farmers in this church and in this community have had one of the toughest years, it's a hard season to plant. Hard season to harvest. It's been a difficult year, but guess what? I still go to myer and all the food I want's there. Not so for them. If you've experienced a breaking point where you just said, I can't take anymore, that's where they were at. In fact, here's how Joel describes it a few verses later. He says, our food disappears before our very eyes. They were literally starving to death. No joyful celebrations are in the house of God. No one had an offering to bring because there was no grain or wine or surviving animals to worship God. All the community worship had stopped. The seeds die in the parched ground. So even their hopes for the next harvest died. The barns stand empty. The granaries are abandoned. Joel is saying our people are at a breaking point. We don't know what to do. Crisis has come, breaking point. But there's also the blessing point. Aren't you thankful for the blessing of God? Aren't you glad that he moves us from breaking to blessing? Amen? Amen. So Joel says this, the blessing point, and he goes through this series of things that God does in our life. Number one, God removes things. Those things that seem to be overwhelming you, God can heal them and remove them. Those obstacles that are in the way, those things that seem to be that last straw that's going to break my back, God can take it and remove it. So God says this promise, I will drive away. I'm going to remove these armies, the locusts, right, from the north. I will send the locusts into the parched parched wastelands. I'm going to remove what's been burdening you and breaking. Then he says, I'm going to restore everything. I will give you back what you lost to the first locust that attacked you, and the second, and the third, and the fourth. God not only removes what breaks us, he says, I'm going to restore everything you thought was gone. Everything you lost through the divorce. And you think, I will never survive as a single mom. Everything's devastated. How will I ever make it? God says, I will restore you I will remove that pain and brokenness. I will restore to you everything that was lost. And this, and this, and this, and this. He restores us abundantly in those seasons of blessing. Then he says, I will revive you spiritually. And he makes that great promise that many of you know in Joel 2. That was fulfilled literally in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. He says, I'm going to revive you spiritually. You're going to come out of the breaking point into this blessing of revival. And the spirit will move men, women, no matter what your gender, young, old, no matter your age, even on servants, rich, poor, blue collar, white collar, none of it matters. God wants to revive everyone. Got it? Got it? Got it? Even if you don't, lie to me so I can move forward. Otherwise, we're going to be here forever. Then finally, God says, here's how he ends in chapter 3. I will be your refuge. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to remove, restore, revive, and then you will abide in me. I will be your strong tower. The Lord's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth will shake at the mighty authority of God, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a strong fortress for Israel. So here's kind of the, the, the big picture of the book of Joel. Breaking point, oh no, everything is devastation. When we thought the third, first wave of locusts did all the destruction, there was another and another and another, and we're totally at the breaking point. Next slide, Nicole. And then it ends with the blessing and God has removed things, restored things, revived us, and now he's our refuge, and it's awesome. And we see our own stories in our life and our quest for God to make all things new in the book of Joel. Then when you're in a season of the breaking point, you're going, oh, I know there's the hope and the joy of the blessing. And so often when you're over here in the breaking point and feeling overwhelmed your eyes are on the blessing and you but i can't wait for the blessing but there's a flaw in that that if you miss the middle if you miss the middle you can miss out on god making all things new sometimes when you're in your the breaking point you're so consumed with the pain or you look only to the season of blessing, like someday I know I'm gonna be through this, someday God will remove and restore and revive and be my refuge. But if you don't say, God, what's the pivot you want from me? See, the book of Joel is not just about breaking and blessing, it's about this little arrow stuck in the middle where the people of God made a pivot. There was a moment of change. And if you try to go from breaking a blessing and you skip the pivot you miss out on what God is trying to do in your life and sometimes we're so desperate and anxious to hurry up and get to the blessing that we never pause to ask God what the pivot is the pivot point that middle some people get stuck when they're trying to make the pivot and saying why me God Will you say that with me? Why me, God? Now say it like you were really hurting and frustrated by what God has allowed in your life. Why me, God? Come on. Sometimes we get stuck there. Why me? And we become trapped in the breaking point. We become narcissistic, self-centered, self-focused, and we think, you know, it's just about me. It's about my short experience That's one fatal flaw that we make in the breaking point, and we never make it to the pivot. But the other one is equally as dangerous. You fail to ask, why this, God? Some believers are afraid to ask God why this is happening. I think mature followers of Jesus that are somewhere in this breaking moment, believing God for the blessing moment, and they know there's a pivot ahead, they wisely ask God, not, why me? No, why this? Why this, God? Do you see the difference? One is self-pity and narcissistic. The other one is, God, I want to understand why my life is enduring this. What is your purpose in this? I'm at a breaking point. I know there's a blessing. I've got to figure out this pivot. Why this? God wants to make all things new. God wants to make your relationship with Jesus alive and fresh and new. He wants to take your marriage and what is broken and crumbling. He wants to breathe life and make it new. He wants to take your prodigal child and breathe new life into them. God is a God who makes things new. But we need not to be passive, but to say, why this? Why this breaking point? What pivot must take place to make things new? It is mature to ask God, why this? Notice this odd It feels odd to Americans because we would never think, we'd tend not to think this way. Notice what God says. I will give you back what you lost. right? I will restore everything you lost from the locust. I will give you back what you lost to the swarming, the hopping, the stripping, and cutting locusts. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. Who sent the locusts? God did. Did someone sneeze? What was funny? What was that? Is my fly down? Well, you guys just made me really uncomfortable. I will restore everything that the locusts took away. But who sent the locusts? That's not rhetorical. Answer: Who sent the locusts? God did. A mature believer in a breaking point stops saying why me and says why this? And you're going to discover and this is going to be broad and it's going to be fast. Right, so there's going to be a lot to take in. You're going to be drinking out of a fire hose with me. But when you ask why this God, you're going to end up with probably one of these three answers. It could be because of the fallen world and the sins of others. Sometimes you're at a breaking point because this world stinks and it's broken, it's diseased, it's not the life God wanted for us. There is no tree of life in the Garden of Eden. That is closed off to us. Now it's decay, destruction, and death, and sin. And sometimes we're at a breaking point because of this fallen world and the sins of others, other people. Sometimes it's our enemy. We believe there is an actual, literal Satan, a devil and his minions, a fallen angels who are actively trying to thwart God's good work in people's lives. Sometimes that pressure and the breaking we're under is an attack from the enemy. And sometimes it's God. A wise believer in this breaking point Asking God for the blessing point says, Why is this pivot point happening? What are you doing, God? And you're going to come up with one of these three, most likely. This we would call suffering. I'm going through a season of suffering. I didn't bring it on myself. Someone else has done this to me, or this fallen world. My body is diseased. Something happened. It was an accident. Someone treated me unjustly. I am going through suffering, God. Or I'm being attacked. The enemy is wanting to thwart your work in my life, God, and this pressure is demonic. It's an attack. Or, God, I think you're doing this to me because you want to teach me something. Right? And sometimes we have some clues. The fallen world and other sin, there's usually no warning, no indication. You're just going through life, and the doctor says you have cancer. You haven't disobeyed God. You're not running away from God. It's no one's fault. Welcome to suffering. It stinks. Wasn't your fault your spouse had the affair and now your marriage is crumbling and in trouble and you are suffering because of their sin. When it's the enemy, you usually know because it comes right on the heels of God making a great promise to you. You sense God calling you to a new ministry. A new open door before you. A new dream unfolds. God says, I'm going to bless you and lead you down this path. And you're like, yes, this is going to be awesome. Two days later, wham. You're like, wait a minute. What is going on? Why am I at this breaking point? Well, maybe the enemy is trying to stop what God has promised. Sometimes we hit the wall and we're at a breaking point because we foolishly ignored what God has been saying. We just, you know... Why am I in this financial wreck? How come all this happened? Well, don't you remember six months ago, God called you to tithe and you said no. Maybe the car's broken down, you know, and the hot water heater went out, and maybe you've got all these bills pumped because God's trying to tell you, you disobeyed me, and I'm trying to gently slap you upside the head. Sometimes it's discipline. But in all three, here's what's most important. In all three. In the book of Joel, it's this. The people of God were ignoring. And he sent them, the locust to call their attention back to him. Whether it's an attack of the enemy, discipline of God, or suffering because of a fallen world, God is sovereign, God's involved, and God's loving. So in other words, sovereign involved in loving. It doesn't matter if it's the fallen world or the devil or the hand of God. God is still behind the scenes working. The devil cannot attack you or hurt you without it passing through the permission of God. If you're under a spiritual attack, you know God has filtered it through and is allowing it for some reason. It's not to overwhelm you. You're not gonna be at the end of the rope. It's not to destroy you because God has allowed it and God is actively sovereign in every area of life. Does that make sense? Even when I know God has brought it to me, I know it's his will for me to learn something. If it's the fallen world, the sin of someone else, and feel like, this is so unfair, it's wrong, I don't deserve this, how could God ever allow this? Well, he did. It passed through his permission. He's going to see you through. I don't know why, that's your job to figure it out with him. In every one of these, God is involved. He's not ambivalent. It's not that he doesn't care. It's not that he's too far away to listen. He wants to be right there in the middle of it with you. He's actively involved in all of these breaking points. And finally, he's loving. Even when God is hurting us, it's out of his love. Even when God has allowed sin and brokenness to affect us, he loves us. He's sovereign. He's involved and he's loving. Therefore, I pursue God. Make all things new in your presence and in your power and your peace. Make sense? Finally, we get down to this. So, God, if you're sovereign, loving, and involved, I will endure whatever hardship and suffering with hope and power, the hope and eternity, and the power of God to move in my life. I will stand and resist the devil. I know you've got control. You're involved You're loving me, I'm gonna make this so I will stand through this spiritual attack. And if it's your discipline, God, you got my attention. I repent and I return to you. So no matter what breaking point you're at, when you go through a healthy pivot, God can work in your life and make all things new. And here's where I wanna conclude. The tools to this pivot are always the same whether it's suffering, attack, or discipline, it's always prayer and fasting, it's always scripture, it's always fellowship. Always and forever, I'm gonna pray and fast, I'm gonna get in God's word, and I'm gonna involve myself in the relationships within the kingdom of God. Those three tools are always essential in that pivot point. Let me put it this way, the pivot point is always spiritual. The pivot point is, Next slide. The pivot point is always a spiritual thing. So, like, you may be in the breaking point financially, overwhelmed with that thing, and I can't go on. I can't endure one more thing. And you might think the solution is financial. It's spiritual. Will there be some financial changes? Of course. Will God need to change some things? Yes, but it begins as a spiritual pivot. Make sense? If the problem in your marriage, there's some past sin that hasn't been worked through and stuff, and you think, well, the problem's with him or the problem's with her. Maybe that's true to an element, but the deepest solution will always begin as a spiritual pivot. Pivot points with God are always forever spiritual prayer and fasting. The word of God and the fellowship of the saints those three tools are essential in that pivot point so as we begin god make all things new you don't get there without a pivot and pivots are always spiritual over the next couple of weeks we'll talk about scripture and prayer pastor Ryan will be preaching next week it's going to be awesome he's one of the he's just a great preacher for a kids pastor amazing he'll be preaching next sunday And then I'll be back the final week. But today, I just want to briefly talk um, in our last couple minutes about the power of relationships. Did you notice through the pivot point in the book of Joel how many times Joel tells people to gather together? Gather together. In fact, look at this. Joel 1.14, announce a time of fasting, which makes no sense, right? They're all starving. They have no food, and he's calling them to fast. Because it's a spiritual change, right? Announce a time of fasting. Call the people, say it. Call the people together for a meeting. Next one. That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping and mourning. Don't tear your clothing with grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God. He's merciful and compassionate. Even though it was the Lord who sent the locust, he did it out of mercy and compassion. He's slow to get angry, filled with love. He's eager to relent and not punish. Who knows? Perhaps he'll send a reprieve and send you a season of blessing instead. Next one. Blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Gather all the people, the elders, the children And the babies. Let me talk briefly about the power of God's pivot in relationships. This component prayer and fasting, we get that. Scripture, that's easy. Understand that. But relationships, often overlooked. Pivot points require things together. You need one another. In order for God to make all things new from breaking point to blessing, you need other people. You need others in your life to see the kingdom of God fully um, realized in who you are. and what you've done. Let me talk about why. Just a couple quick points. Number one, you need other people because you need their spiritual gifts. There are not enough spiritual gifts in you. There are not enough spiritual gifts given to you. God will not give you every spiritual gift you need for your journey with the Lord. He's given us the body. It would be ungodly. It's unthinkable for God to instill in one person everything that's needed. He builds bodies and people together. I need your gifts and you need mine. Sometimes when you're at the breaking point, you go, I can't even pray in faith anymore. I'm so discouraged. I need God to give me a gift of faith. You probably don't. You need God to give someone else a gift of faith to speak into your life, to help you pull through. Did you hear me? Do you know who, there's one person in this room that can't speak a prophetic word to me. Me. If I need God to speak a prophetic word to me, guess who he's not gonna tell it to? Me. He's gonna use one of you to come up to me. And say, Man, I was praying for you. I think God is speaking this. I need you to speak to Me. Make sense? Yes. Two, we need each other's intercessory prayer. I can't tell you how often the miraculous answer to prayer doesn't initiate with the person who is in need, but someone else. God wants to use someone else in intercession to receive the, the Word of God and the faith and the gift to share with someone else. And sometimes the person who's most desperate, oh, I'm at a breaking point, I need blessing. The problem is you've got to share in relationship what you need so the intercessor can be praying for you because the breakthrough is going to be given through someone else, not your own. We need prayer. And you can't do that in isolation. Number three, you need their discipleship help. There's one person in this world that can't disciple you. You. It's impossible to disciple you. You won't you just see things through your own perspective. You need other people around you to speak into your life. Jesus didn't call Peter. "Hey, Peter, come follow me. Andrew, James and John, you, you stay away. I'll be back in three years for you and then disciple Peter. For Peter to be discipled, he needed other people. We need one another to disciple one another. speak into our lives and finally here's the bottom line of all of it when we enter relationships honestly it breaks our most basic sinful trait which is our autonomy we say i don't need you i don't need god i got this and when you say to the fellow saints i don't need you you're really saying i don't need god So the most basic sinful barrier to God making all things new is pride and to break that, we enter relationships. If you've been in a season of breaking and you're saying, oh God, I want the blessing, that's good, but don't miss the pivot. It will always be spiritual, prayer and fasting, scripture, and it will involve other people. You need their gifts, you need their prayers, you need their discipleship, and you need to die to your pride. Americans miss the power of God because of our pride. We're a very autonomous culture. And Jesus wants us to say, I need the Lord and I need the Lord's body to help me become all things new that God wants for my life. So let me break this down. Over the next 21 days, I'm going to ask you to find relationships. Let me talk to you about that. Number one, maybe you're here today and you and your pride has said, I'm going to get through this by myself. Maybe you've been hurt in life. You've got a few hangups, some habits, some addictions you got to break, some, some negative thinking that you can't get out of. And you said, you know what? I'm going to get better by myself. You're a liar. That's the enemy telling you to keep you trapped. The better answer is, I need someone's help. So if that's you, and let me use those words, you've got some habits and some hangups and some hurts in your life, and you've been thinking, I'm gonna get through this this year. I'm just gonna try harder. No, you need to try with some other people. So let me encourage you to be a part of Celebrate Recovery on Tuesdays, either with the adults or with the landing teenagers. Come and say in humility, I need you to speak into my life, and Jesus will make all things new. But you've got to have relationships, number two. If the indebtedness, we've talked about that a couple of times. It is such a humiliating thing for an American to say, I need to figure out how to live financially differently. You have to die to your pride. So I'm asking you, if money is preventing you from following Jesus, surrender to that pride. Be humble enough to say, I'll come to Financial Peace University and God will set you free. Third, for most of us, It's simply life groups where you can share prayer requests. You can learn to intercede for other people. They'll be praying for you. You can help each other, raise your children, go through life, do whatever season you're in. You have a community that's with you. That is so important. And now let me say a couple of things. Hear me. And I I love you, but I'm going to be direct. The longer you've been following Jesus, the less likely you are to be in a group. If you're here in this room and you're new to Jesus, say within the last three to five years, you're more likely to be in a group, in a life group than someone that's been following Jesus for 15 or 20. We think it's because we're mature enough that we've got it. And really the reason you're not in a group is because you're so proud that you think you don't need it. And it's pride. And it's usually those mature Christians that have arrived and have got it that think, man, something's wrong. I'm stale in my walk with God. And you blame the preacher, you blame the worship, you you try to do anything you can to find what's missing in my life and what's missing is humility that says, I haven't arrived, I need to surround myself with people that are still teaching me and helping me and praying for me. Because although I've been following Jesus a long time, I'm still a child. You know what marks a mature believer? Is there humility? And it's arrogance that says, I don't need a life group. Be careful of that. You may survive for a year, two, five, 10, but you're gonna find yourself alone and isolated and weak because you didn't invest in relationships that were speaking life into you. Will you stand with me this morning? We hope that you got a lot out of today's message and that you'll share it with a friend. To stay connected with what's happening here at First Assembly, be sure to go to the App Store and type in 1AGBN to download the app. Remember, God's created you for a great purpose. Now go and live it out today.